2: and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and
1: data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
3: I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.
4: Up next, Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell, part of the Gingrich 360
5: Network. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. I have to tell you that I'm really looking forward to today's show. My guest has become a household name as the central law enforcement figure in the Breonna Taylor case. He is Daniel Cameron, the attorney general of Kentucky. Cameron is the first Republican elected as Kentucky AG in more than seven decades and the first black American independently elected to statewide office in Kentucky history. He is a rising star in the Republican Party, and I have a feeling Americans will be seeing a lot more of him in the years to come. Before we get to Daniel Cameron, I want to play an audio clip from a press conference. You'll hear Tamika Mallory, a prominent activist who was one of the organizers of the 2017 U.S. Women's March, following the decision by a grand jury not to directly charge the officers involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor. Her comments were then echoed by a number of celebrities across the country. Take a listen.
1: Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that
5: sold our people into slavery. She said it and
1: helped white men to capture our people, to abuse them and to traffic them Mm. while our women were raped, Mm. while our men were raped by savages. Mm. That is who you are, Daniel Karen. You are a coward, Mm -hmm. you are a sellout, and you were used by the system to harm your own mama, your own black mama. We have no respect for you, no respect for your black skin because all of our skin folk ain't our kin folk and you do not belong to black people at all.
5: Well, Daniel Cameron, thank you so much for your time. You've been a friend of mine for many years. I've known Absolutely. you before you ever decided to run for office and on Capitol Hill many years. And yes. you know, it's good to be with you. We got a lot to talk about today, but thank you for joining Out live with Gianno Caldwell.
4: Man, I am so honored to be on here with you. And I really want to just congratulate you on this show and, and all the, the multitude of success that you've had. And uh, you are a living testament to what hard work and perseverance is.
5: And uh, I'm grateful to be your friend and grateful to be on here, brother. Thank you. And faith in God, more importantly. Amen. Amen. I I appreciate that. And interesting that we're talking about faith in God because on November 30th, if you filed an emergency application with the U.S. Supreme Court, in the case of Danville Christian Academy versus Bashir, the case involves religious schools that want to keep their in-person classes going after the Kentucky governor, Andy Bashir, a Democrat, issued an executive order saying all schools need to stop in-person classes and go back to virtual distance or distance learning because of COVID-19. In the application, you asked the nation's highest court to allow a ruling by the district court judge stopping the enforcement of the order to take effect. And the U.S. Uh, court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit disagreed with the district court and sided with the governor, leading you to file this application. Can you tell us more about this case and why it's so important?
4: Yeah, well, I... It's, you've summed it up pretty well in terms of what's at stake here. The governor, in a recent executive order, shut down religiously affiliated schools. And as the attorney general of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, it's my responsibility to defend the constitutional rights of our citizens. And, and in particular, in this case, that's the First Amendment and the free exercise of faith. Uh, and so, look, I, I've said repeatedly from the beginning, whether you're the president governor or local officials here in the Commonwealth, I understand the responsibility to keep people safe uh, and protect people during this prolonged or protracted pandemic. But we have an equally important responsibility. And you'll know this from hearing Attorney General Barr say it or Justice Gorsuch in his own way say it as well, that even in the midst of a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be suspended. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. I think most Kentuckians agree with it. And I dare say the majority of the country agrees with making sure that we are standing up for the constitutional rights that we hold so dear and that we value. And again, the responsibility of this office is to be vigilant and protect those rights. And so when a governor says that a religiously affiliated school has to shutter its doors when faith is at the core of a religiously affiliated school's curriculum, Mm -hmm. therefore, confronting and uh, attacking the First Amendment, it's our responsibility to defend. And so we've taken this case all the way to the Supreme Court. We got the right ruling in our judgment at the federal district court that said a governor cannot infringe upon our First Amendment rights. The Court of Appeals, we were obviously disappointed by that decision, but uh, we have applied for immediate review by our circuit judge, which is Justice Kavanaugh, Uh, He's now in the position of determining what happens next in this case. He's already asked for a response from Governor Bashir's team, and we'll see what happens from there. But again, this is a pretty simple question in our view, which is can a governor in an executive order infringe upon the First Amendment right of parents across the Commonwealth to send their their children uh, for in-person instruction at, at religiously affiliated schools?
5: And it certainly would have especially if it comes out in your favor to have an impact across the country. So we'll continue to monitor that and see what happens there. thank you. Now, let's turn to the death of Breonna Taylor and its aftermath. And I know it's been one that's impacted us all, especially as African-Americans across the country, men, women. I know that uh, there's been a lot of hate directed towards you. If people go to your Instagram, they'll see thousands of comments of people calling you a sellout, Uncle Tom, You got rappers, Maggie, the stallion and many, many others who personally attacked you and they've sent a lot of hate your way. And me knowing you for many, many years and us having these conversations over dinner or, or just being together and and having conversations. I know that you have a a great care for the black community. And you, you've mentioned on air that, you know, we got to care about our black women. You've, you've made those comments. Now, this, seemingly isn't enough for a lot of the critics that have come after you. And I'm just really intrigued to know after the death threats you receive, your wife has had to have security. How are you doing on a personal level when it comes to all of that?
4: Well, no, thanks for the question. Look, uh, it is been a difficult period and I never want to sort of look at it from, you know, my perspective. And I think you've framed this appropriately. A young lady in the prime of her life, Brianna Taylor, lost lost her life. And as I've said repeatedly, that is a, a tragedy and make no mistake about it. It is a hurt and had ripples throughout the black community here in the Commonwealth and just the entire nation. I mean, this has been an important case and I am been pained by just how difficult it has been. And uh, whether it's Tamika Palmer, Brianna's mother, or family members or folks in the community. I mean, this is a heart wrenching story. And what I've said is that in the midst of this tragedy, sometimes the criminal justice system is inadequate to respond to a tragedy. And what I've meant by that is that there is great pain and sorrow connected with this woman who's was in many ways, the glue in her family was a, a strong pillar Uh, was moving forward in her professional career. But at the same time, the role of the attorney general is to look at the facts as they are and and not try to pick out specific facts or certain facts uh, to meet a narrative. That is not the role of the attorney general, nor should it be. The responsibility of this office is to follow the facts and marry the facts with the law. And what happened in the early morning hours of, of March 13th is uh, officers were attempting to execute uh, a search warrant. And when they attempted to enter, Kenneth Walker, Ms. Taylor's boyfriend, uh, fired at the officers. And the officers then were justified in returning fire. Again, the tragedy here is that Ms. Taylor was hit in that return fire. And again, I cannot fully understand the pain. And sorry, I've, I've spoken candidly about you know, I know how much time and energy uh, that my parents, my mother specifically have invested in me. Uh, and if something was to happen to me, I could uh, I understand how how challenging and difficult it would be. But again, the officers were justified in returning fire and as a, a prosecuting office. And I and I want to make sure that people understand that it's not me making these decisions in a vacuum. So I have a, a team of of prosecutors uh, and investigators with over two hundred years of combined experience, we took this case because we had the resources and the 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 breadth of expertise and experience to handle this matter as as opposed to farming it out to another Commonwealth attorney, you'll recall that the initial prosecutor on this case uh, was conflicted out, and so it came to our office to make a decision about whether to keep it or to give it to somebody else. But because of the resources, and the relationships that we have with our federal law enforcement community, uh, we were able to handle this case appropriately and have a meticulous and thorough investigation. Uh, And at the end of that investigation, we concluded in terms of a recommendation to the grand jury, uh, it was appropriate to recommend uh, an indictment as it relates to another officer that was at the scene, but not to the two officers that fired in the doorway, if you will. Miles Cosgrove and Jonathan Mattingly, again, because they were justified in returning fire. Again, I've, I've fully said from the beginning that uh, sometimes the criminal system is inadequate to respond to a tragedy, and that's certainly the case here. But that doesn't uh, mean that I cannot dispense with my responsibility and role as the chief law enforcement officer. And I hope people over time recognize that and understand that, uh, our job was to the law and to the facts in this case. And uh, we tried to dispense with that responsibility appropriately. I'm completely confident in the process that we had here and in the prosecutors and investigators that we had working on this case. And uh, it's it's important for people to understand that. Uh, and it's important uh, for us to continue to prosecute this, uh, this, this other officer that was at the scene. And I also remind people that, the FBI continues to lead an investigation into this matter as well. And so I tell folks to to stay tuned because the, the case, as it relates to the two officers that were in the doorway, is concluded. But there are other things that are are at play here, and the, the FBI continues to lead the way on that part of the investigation.
5: So what would justice for Breonna Taylor's family even look like?
4: Well, I, I think that, you know, obviously they have had a pretty large settlement with the city of Louisville. But again, my responsibility is to the facts and the law. And uh, this is a very hard and challenging case. And as we look at the landscape related to uh, warrants and that process, I think there continues to be very healthy conversations, very candid conversations about the execution of warrants, uh, the implementation and the process that goes into those warrants. And again, the FBI continues its investigation to any potential civil rights violations. And so we continue to have these ongoing conversations about, you know, how can we honor her legacy and how can we uh, best uh, move forward? But it's, it's a tough, it is a tough and challenging situation. And I, again, I understand those that are hurting and who take issue uh, with our office's decision,
5: but My responsibility is to the facts and the law, and we dispense with that responsibility appropriately. You know, Attorney General, I think that's such an important point that people need to recognize. I want to pick up from there after we take a quick break.
6: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
1: Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
5: Some grand jurors in the case have said you didn't give them the option to indict the officers directly for causing Taylor's death because you never actually presented them with the homicide charges against the officers. They accuse you of lying and misleading the public about the grand jury deliberations. How do you respond to such accusations?
4: Well I'm fully confident in the process that we put forth and I've I've said that from the beginning. It it is our responsibility to present the all the evidence to the grand jury, all the facts to the grand jury, which we did, but we also had a responsibility to put forth an appropriate recommendation. And that recommendation was to this third officer who was at the scene of the the, the incident, Detective Hankinson. And then I won't say anything further about him because there is ongoing criminal prosecution against him. But at the end of the day, what I've laid out to you as it relates to the justification for the return fire by Mattingly and Cosgrove, uh, it was not appropriate to put forth a recommendation for any murder charges against them. Part of being a prosecutor requires that not only we have uh, sufficient information at the indictment stage, but also something that we can actually pursue in the criminal jury system. And again, as a prosecutor, you have to look at your responsibility on that angle and that's from that perspective. Uh, and we just, it, it, there was not evidence sufficient to bring forth a recommendation for an indictment for murder for either John Mattingly or Miles Cosgrove.
5: I'm just very intrigued by your opinion on this because there appears to be, especially in the African-American community, the very real truth that officers in some cases don't be brought to justice for uh, murdering black folks. And in in cases unjustly is what I want to say. I think back to instances of police officers uh, pulling up. I've seen viral videos of police officers asking African-American men for their driver's license and they go in to get their driver's license and then they shoot in the car. Or I see Caucasian individuals who literally attack the police and they don't seem to die. Do you think that we need to reform the the system of policing so there is greater justice? MLK was clear. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And a lot of African-Americans do feel that they're under attack. I I'm concerned when I get pulled over by a police officer of ensuring that I leave this safely, I do whatever they tell me to do, but there's a very real concern and fear among our African-Americans, brothers and sisters that they can legitimately die from an interaction with the police. And it doesn't seem as though there's much justice when it comes to um, them actually being held to account when, They do something wrong. Do you think we need to reform that?
4: Well, what I will say is that I think it's completely appropriate to have these very important conversations about our criminal justice system and equality within our country. I I don't know anybody that disputes that we need to, in order to form a more perfect union, continually have these conversations. We want to be a part in the AG's office of that dialogue. As a black man, I want to be a part of that dialogue. Again, I don't know anybody who comes to these conversations in good faith that doesn't want to have a significant and substantial conversation about equality and the pursuit of equality in this country, regardless of what the industry or profession is. I think it's always healthy to have that conversation. What I, I've tried to be very clear that in the midst of having that conversation, it's important that we not conflate situations or what happens in one particular instance, say, for, for instance, what occurred in, in Minnesota uh, or what occurred mm-hmm. in other, all of these cases are very fact-specific and, and very fact-intensive. And so the responsibility of a prosecutor and a prosecuting office is to make sure that we're looking at the specific facts of a particular case. And in, in, in for me in, in this office, it was what happened uh, in the early morning hours of March 13th in the death of Ms. Taylor. That was what mm-hmm. our scope and that was what our analysis was about. I, I couldn't look at what happened in Minnesota or I couldn't look at what happened in Georgia to inform the decision-making process and the investigative process here in this case. I think that would, that would not be appropriate again, as in my responsibility as a prosecutor. And I know that my prosecutors and investigators that were handling this case knew that they had to shut out everything else but the facts specific to this case. So but to your original question, I mean, the conversation around justice, it is always this country has had a long history uh, of, of protests to bring forth grievances or concerns or to highlight issues in society. And so I've said as a as a advocate of our First Amendment principles and, and foundation, and obviously, as uh, we continue to, to fight for those principles here in Kentucky. Protest is okay. Peaceful protest is appropriate. Where you don't want to go is, and where some of these peaceful protests can be undermined is when violence starts to to bleed into those. But I know the majority of people that have been involved in this process as it relates to justice and equality in our country have sincere, sincerely held beliefs. And I think it's, again, healthy to be a part of open and honest conversations about peace, justice and equality here in the country. And I want to be a meaningful contributor to that conversation, even with the fact uh, that we've we've had this this really heart wrenching case here in Kentucky.
5: It's one that is um, stroke fear across the nation of what could happen to another person next if you can't be in your home safely with without maybe dying. Um, So I, I can understand that. And I know you're talking about honesty and transparency. And I want to ask you a question about um, something to, that's been in the news recently or rather it had been in the news. And it's about the release of the recordings and the transcripts of the deliberations earlier this year. And I know you didn't want to release them. I'm not sure if you released them yet or if it, were, it was a court order for you to release them. Why did you want to keep them?
4: Well, this has nothing to do with whether we wanted to keep them or not. There is a a process whenever grand jury proceedings Occur, those are held in secret and in confidentiality so that frank and honest conversations and questions can be asked. Uh, and it's to protect the grand jurors themselves. It's And so that here in, in Kentucky, as soon as this became apparent that uh, there would be an, an open conversation in court about whether to release this information, the Kentucky prosecutors wrote a letter encouraging us and in part of uh, the litigation asking the judge not to hold this information or not to disclose this information uh, to the public because of the dangerous precedent it would set in opening up grand jury proceedings that was our only interest i i have no qualms with grand jurors speaking of, of, about the case again this was all because of the the history and the precedent that would be established grand jury proceedings since the beginning have been held in secret, again, to protect the grand jurors, to protect the information that is shared during that process. Uh, and so that was our only interest, was to, to make sure that we were consistent with precedent. Uh, this judge in Louisville had a, a different view of that, and that's okay. And I don't know what this means for other cases in the future, other high-profile cases. I'm not entirely sure. But if you talk to any uh, prosecutor involved in the criminal justice system, it is it is without question that forever these proceedings have been secret and closed. And so that was our only interest was to keep with that precedent as opposed to allowing that information. All of the information is out there now and, and, uh, and that is fine. And uh, grand jurors obviously are, are, are allowed to speak now, which is fine as well. But the fact of the matter is, is that what the grand jurors were going to say were, was not And what was going to be released was not an issue for us. It was the process itself. Again, Mm -hmm. grand juries have been secret. And so to do away with that policy or that process is pretty remarkable and unprecedented. And I don't know ultimately what the ramifications of that will be. But I know we had prosecutors, not only in this office, but prosecutors across the Commonwealth that didn't want to see that happen. Uh, Again, the judge made their decision. We respect that decision. And all the information is out there, but uh, it is uh, it was certainly consistent with the role of a prosecutor to protect the secrecy of the grand jury proceedings. But uh, a judge decided otherwise.
5: You know, uh, Greg Fisher, the mayor and the city that Breonna Taylor was killed back in March, uh, declared we recently declared racism, a public health crisis and announced a plan to advance racial equality for those who live in the city, the African-Americans that live in the city. His plan includes steps to reform the city's police department, which got me to thinking: Would you support a federal consent decree on the police department there to have a federal monitor watch over what's going on in that police department?
2: Well, I
4: don't want to, you know, think about hypotheticals. I, I don't think it's appropriate. That is a a process that is um, is all handled at the at the federal level with federal U.S. attorneys and the Department of Justice. And if that was to be undertaken. And I, again, I, I don't have any knowledge of, of that process. We would obviously, again, we, we would have no real involvement in the Department of Justice decision. But if they were to make that decision, um, you know, obviously the LMPD in Louisville would be required to follow it. But that is a completely mm-hmm. separate process from the state attorney, attorney general's office. But, uh, uh, and again, I have no knowledge of any a potential consent process that might be underway.
5: Do you you think that there should be some monitoring of the police department there? I know a consent decree. I know what they do. I understand that it's a contractual piece where attorneys kind of review the operations of the police department for those who don't know. But do you think there's any need for any form of reform as the. The mayor said that he believes that there should be.
4: Well, I again, that is uh, I think it's healthy to have this conversation. And I know even at the state level, there's an ongoing conversation about the warrant process and Mm -hmm. uh, what that should look like going forward. And we need to have these conversations. And as I've talked about, it's important for regardless of whether it's the warrant process or other policies and procedures that are in place. It's always healthy to have those conversations. And Mm -hmm. so I think. I don't know specifically what the mayor has in mind. And again, I don't know anything specific about any consent decree process that might occur out of the Department of Justice. But we are obviously interested in seeing these conversations, whether if if it's the warrant process or other things continue to happen uh, here in Kentucky. And on the state level, obviously, we would, you know, our session begins in January. To the extent we can be helpful in that process, we will do so
5: and you know i I was a lobbyist in the state of illinois and we work with the attorney general's office and the attorney general's office sent out bills in our state capital in springfield all the time to reform things processes that that was involved in their office and other offices as well and you mentioned your legislation legislative session is in january next month do you have uh, any policy or any bills you're going to send down there to improve what's going on, with whether it be police departments or law enforcement, anything like that?
2: Well,
4: I think, um, you know, we've we've begun those conversations. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I've talked a little bit about is uh, the need for us to to review and uh, consider our warrant processes across the Commonwealth, not just Lowell specifically. And so we'll continue to be engaged in that dialogue and, and see whether there are things that Need to be changed or should be changed. There's obviously a lot of different views and perspectives on uh, no-knock warrants or just other types of warrant processes that are that are that exist. And so we'll be a a productive member of those conversations. I know some bills have already been pre-filed by uh, members of the legislature, and we will continue to monitor that and continue to you know have our own sort of piece of the pie, if you will, in terms of the warrant process and looking at ways if necessary to reform it.
5: Okay. So if I'm hearing you clearly, you're saying that you're going to work with legislators and perhaps offer up some policy for them to um, introduce and sponsor that can change the dynamic and some of the things we're seeing in terms of law enforcement. Is okay. that right?
4: Yeah. We've been talking about here, and I don't want to get into the specifics yet, about a assembling a group of folks. Would be led by this office to look at the the warrant process across the commonwealth Mm -hmm. again not singling out any particular department but just as part of a healthy and ongoing conversation we've been looking at specifically in the ag's office is how we can be a part of that conversation and bring in other stakeholders to help inform those conversations
5: okay now switching gears just a little bit because we know the brianna taylor case is one chapter in a larger story We see calls to defund the police, rioting, threatening law enforcement, and certain politicians supporting the chaos in cities across the country. We also see citizens who aren't extremists and don't engage in violence, but are still concerned about the police in this environment. What do you say to those individuals who are looking to take the law in their own hands? We've seen the protests, of course, with Breonna Taylor and just African-Americans like George Floyd in general, but people are going out damaging property and they're trying to take the law in their own hand because they don't believe that the elected officials who have been appointed to these positions are doing their job properly to keep people safe. What do you say to these folks?
4: Well, I, I say violence is is never the answer. And again, I've, I've said repeatedly that peaceful protest is a part of our ref- Republican form of government, our democracy. And so we should always be sensitive to those who express themselves in in peaceful protests. But. Whether you're from the right or left, violence should never be accepted as a part of these conversations. And so I know President Trump was very strong, uh, strongly opposed to any violence, and I also know uh, Joe Biden was – opposed to violence as well and anyone
5: eventually he was yeah 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 okay. he didn't he didn't mention it yeah. in dnc like we got to be clear about that yeah, right? yeah, yeah eventually yeah. they started talking about it after they saw the poll numbers dip yeah yeah. i'm talking about joe biden then yeah. they started speaking up so he wasn't no, you're initially saying much of anything yeah. kamala harris again bailing out those who were yeah. uh rioting and looting they had uh her, her folks on her staff had a whole fund that they were I'm encouraging people to contribute, contribute. They're they're in my, in my view, a part of the problem. Well,
4: they, I, I agree with you. I, I think they, they came to the party late. I think they recognized that you cannot have a message that calls for the dismantling and defunding of our police departments. Look, the folks that, you know, have the loud largest and loudest sort of microphones aren't representative of all of our communities or, the thought process in our respective communities. And the fact of the matter is, is, is that a lot of folks appreciate, you don't hear these voices as much, but appreciate our law enforcement community and their, their sacrifices that they make to, to keep us safe. And again, I understand that we, we have to have open and honest conversations about if there are bad apples in, in, in our communities or, or in the law enforcement community or any industry then you need to get those folks out. But by, by and large, I think most people respect, and, and yeah, you are exactly right, that Joe Biden was late to the party and eventually recognized that uh, he had to speak out. Again, President Trump was very strong on this particular issue. And I think it's why it resonated with so many so many people because of, of the fact that you know we cannot just disparage a whole a group uh, of citizens that day in and day out Make sacrifices to keep our families home to make sure that we can, can sleep uh, at night soundly at our homes and so I'm in this role as, as chief law enforcement officer you obviously you know I have to, to, to play it down the middle in terms of any investigation that you conduct and uh, any prosecutions that you might pursue and the idea that you would defund the police is just beyond me, and I, we cannot have a society police are not present and that police uh, are not respected. And I, I think it's it's sad when you see, you know, folks on the on the left side of the aisle that are calling for this sort of this sort of idea, because, again, we have to have the rule of law and we have to protect our communities. And, and the men and women of the thin blue line uh, have to do that daily and they should be applauded for it.
5: And, you know, what's interesting. President Obama recently said that The idea of defunding the police is uh, basically you lose your audience. Once you say that, but you got people like um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is very much in favor of defunding the police. And when Democrats have tried to explain it and said, no, we mean take some of the law enforcement department funding and put it in community programs. Kamala Harris said, let's reimagine the police. And she's pushed back and she said, no, I mean, defund the police. Exactly what that means. So putting Millions of people in danger, putting people on the south side of Chicago and other peer areas where it's extraordinarily dangerous, putting them in even more danger and All making right. them potentially victims. What do you say to somebody like AOC?
4: Well, it it's scary when President Obama, when he comes out and makes a statement of we can't, you know, have these, you know, grand slogans of defund the police, and he gets attacked by his own members of his own party. I mean, that's that is, in my judgment, a sign of, of in many ways how far left the Democratic Party has gone, in, in particular as it relates to, to AOC and, and some of the folks uh, that subscribe to the same value set and belief system that she has. And, and again, it is I think that is part of of President Trump's. The reason that he resonated uh, with folks is that he stood and stands for the rule of law. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that people, uh, regardless of, of, of what the ultimate outcome of the election is, and I know there's a lot of different pieces that are involved in that, that men and women across this country will continue to respect the men and women of our thin blue line and the sacrifices that they make in protecting our communities, as, as you so, so well stated it. I mean, again, the people that have the largest microphones, they sometimes drown out the voices of the, of the folks that are are getting up and going to work every day and coming home and uh, want to make sure that their streets are safe and, and don't want folks uh, dying in their streets and, and being murdered. Mm. They want the help of the police. And so I, right. uh, I, I'm i hopeful that, you know, even as we move into this this next year, that folks will um, continue to see that really our law enforcement community is a bright spot in our society. And they, again, you can have bad apples in, in any industry, in any profession, but the folks that I know of the Thin Blue Line, they they want to uh, keep community safe and, and they they risk their lives to do so.
5: Absolutely, I totally agree. I want to dig into that further after a word from our sponsor.
1: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running.
0: the biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival presented by Capital One iHeart Country Jason Aldean Keith Urban Jelly Roll Old Dominion Lady A Riley Green Ashley McBride. Osborne, Walker, Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center, Saturday, May fourth. Stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, five Pacific.
5: And and one would argue because there's been a number of police departments that have been defunded. They've lost funding. Los Angeles and a number of other New York City, a number of other uh, large police departments. And there's been people who've been murdered because there's not been as much police presence in an area. So, I mean, yeah, I would say yeah. that the, the, these folks blood is on AOC hands. She's been leading the movement. I mean, is that something you would agree with?
4: Well, look, I I, um, I I certainly think that anybody who is calling for the for defunding of the police is is setting a very dangerous perspective and viewpoint that can have long term ramifications and it actually hurts and hinder's success and upward mobility in those communities they think they're trying to help and so i'm completely opposed to that idea or that viewpoint that says we need to defund police cuz this very same communities that you know AOC or, or her folks uh, say that they are the trying squad. to trying to help it really is it's counterproductive and counterintuitive because these communities are, are some some of the communities that need this help the
5: most. Yeah, no, 100 percent. What can be done to build more trust between police and the black community?
4: Well, I think that you've got to on the front end before you have these, you know, high profile or very sensitive incidences. You've got to establish relationships before on the uh, on the front end uh, so that you can have the tough and difficult conversations when it comes to these specific cases or just Mm -hmm. how to better. Uh, focus the police efforts in these particular communities. Obviously, I think recruitment is incredibly important. Folks that look like the communities that they're serving, having them in positions of authority is important to helping establish the credibility and building stronger those relationships. But it's a, um, you know, it is a labor of love, I think is the best way to put it, that there has to be real, real interest in establishing and investing in those relationships and not just showing up to pull somebody over, but also developing those community ties that can help even when there are very significant and, and difficult situations.
5: Well let me ask you this this question because I know there's been a lot of talk from activists all over, more so active activists on the left. People have said that they believe that America is systematically racist and, and broken and can't be fixed. What do you say to that?
4: America uh, is certainly the land of opportunity. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for this country. And, General, your story and, and, and so many other folks' story is, is one of, of upward mobility. And I hold on to belief in that this is the greatest nation on the face of the planet. And, you know, there are always going to be challenges. That's regardless of if you live here or in any place, but this is the best place on earth. And the idea that you know that we, we we've obviously got a ways to go i mean I, I think that's always going to be true i mean we're always trying to perfect this union um and there will always be more that we can do to to be sensitive and to be good to our neighbors and good in our communities and good to our families but you know this i i wholeheartedly believe that this is the, the greatest nation on earth and that upward mobility Can occur here, can happen here, as long as that, as we have the, we remove the barriers in our society, allow people to do that. But I continue to believe that um, if you want to do something in this country, you can. Uh, If you, you know, have faith in the Lord and if you, you put your best foot forward and and you persevere and and show grit and determination, uh, you can do whatever you set your mind to
5: and and i I believe that as when partnering with God, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is, you will win when you're in true partnership with God and I appreciate that um your response and certainly, although I'm not going to say the country is systematically racist, I would say the ninety four crime bill pushed by Joe Biden absolutely was systematically racist, so i mean that's that's my point of view, and I know I don't have much time with you, so I want to ask my last question because there's been a lot of conversation about your political future. You spoke at the Republican National Committee. There's been a lot of talk about you possibly being a future president, uh, which is uh, something I'm sure you, you're excited to hear. Somebody who's a first term in, in the office you're in. Uh, what is the future like for you? Because people say you might replace uh, Senator McConnell in the Senate, maybe run for governor. And I know your response is going to be, well, I'm focused on my job, but <laughs> <laughs> what with those? <laughs> That's the typical politician response. Yeah. But as my friend, yeah. get about the microphone. Yeah. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, John, look, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, You know, I'm here my my first year. It, it has been a eventful and busy year, and so thinking beyond 2020 at this point seems overwhelming. I'm I'm honestly very, or uh, you know, obviously very grateful for the opportunity to have, to speak at the Republican National Convention and. What I what I hope it did was a couple of things. One, that if you look like me and I know Representative-elect Owens and others would, Senator Scott, others would say this as well, that if you look like me, I I hope you recognize that there is there is room for you in the Republican Party and that you recognize that this party was founded for the very um, for the very reason. Uh, of, of ending slavery in this country. And so, yeah. And so I hope people that look like me recognize that at least be open to the idea of, uh, of, of the Republican party. And then the other thing I, I I am grateful that it gave me an opportunity to do is just to say really thank you to, you know, my, my parents who raised me to talk about the common values in our communities in the role and importance of faith in our communities and that uh, grateful for uh, the the work that President Trump has done over the last uh, four years to we talk about upward mobility and how important that is. And uh, so, again, I was thankful for the opportunity to speak there and to to share my perspective on, on what the Republican Party means to me and what it is and and its future. And again, I, I, at this point, I'm just focused on getting out of 2020 and, and, and getting to 2021 in terms of the AG's office in this space. And and we're doing some really good and meaningful work here. Obviously, we've had some pro, high profile uh, matters as it relates to COVID-19 and, and the Breonna Taylor investigation. But we've also established, really for the first time, a new child abuse prosecutorial toolkit to help our prosecutors across the Commonwealth fight child abuse. And we've taking some very meaningful steps in fighting human trafficking here in Kentucky as well. And so there's a lot of, of great work that's left to be done here. Uh, I'm fortunate and honored to be the first African-American independently elected to statewide office here in Kentucky and to be the 51st Attorney General uh, and to fight and stand up for folks' rights. So it, it is this is an incredibly important office, a lot of important decisions as evidenced by uh, some of the stuff that's happened over the last year. Come across this desk, uh, and I'm just grateful to serve in this capacity. And we'll see ultimately uh, what the Lord has in store uh, down the road. But but my 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 focus is on, uh, on is on 2020 and and the rest of this year, and and then seeing uh, what exciting things we can do in the AG's office in Kentucky come 2021.
5: Well, I thank you for your time today. I know this wasn't a softball interview because people really want to know what's going on yeah with the case and yeah. it's handled fairly they want to make sure that justice is done and absolutely we know that there's a federal investigation still ongoing so we'll wait for the details on that but thank you again for spending time with me here at Outlaw with giano caldwell and we'll uh, continue to monitor what's going on with you thank you so much
4: all right thanks brother
5: I want to thank Daniel Cameron for coming on and speaking with us about the Brianna Taylor case. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcast. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at Gingrich360.com, and I'll try to answer them in future episodes. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and parlor at Giano Caldwell. If you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book titled Taken for granted how conservatism can win back the Americans that liberalism failed. Special thanks to our producer Stephen Calabria, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network. Part of the
4: Gingrich 360 network.
0: The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival presented by Capital One. iHeart Country. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green. Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center, Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.